Before we begin, uh, if you picked up the bulletin and you're going to be trying to follow along, the outline that may be put on the screen may not follow perfectly with the sermon because as I was actually writing and thinking more and more, it's kind of like it changed a little bit, but in general, it's, it'll follow the structure. So forgive me if you say, Adam, how dare you violate what you already wrote? It's like, my, pardon me. So, well, good morning. It's good to see you all in the house of God, the temple of the living God. God's presence is with us. What an amazing and beautiful truth that when we come to church, we are coming to actually meet with our king. We may not feel him, we may not see him, but do you trust his word that it's factually true? I hope so. Our sermon series over the pilgrim songs, or the Psalms of Ascent, continues today. We're going over the 128th Psalm. Uh, And these psalms, just going over a little recap, they were sung as pilgrims made their way up to Jerusalem to worship. It's because God said that three times a year, all your males, keep that in mind, the males part, because it's going to come up a lot in this psalm. He addresses the males. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover, at the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, and at the Feast of Booths, also called Tabernacles. They shall not appear before me empty-handed. Deuteronomy 16. So God had appointed these three annual times that all the males of Israel would go up to Jerusalem, and that's a big, steep climb, and they would do this three times a year to worship. And they could bring their families, but if you were a male and you did not go, it was basically borderline like a death sentence. You were, you were alienated from the people then. You were cut off from Israel, it said, and that usually means death. You, you would have to leave. I don't know exactly what kind of consequences that are, but you were essentially forfeiting your salvation. You were saying, I despise the inheritance God has given me. It was a no-go. So they would go, and this tradition of singing started, and this psalm is in that tradition. And it begins with a very simple and universal statement. Verse 1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And churches, from this opening verse, we get our main point from today, the dominant theme of this psalm, and it's this, our main point. Those who fear and obey God are truly blessed. Those who fear God and obey him are truly blessed. To fear God means to reverence, respect, and rightly recognize who you and me and who, I, who we are in light of who the Lord really is. And this should cause us to be afraid. Fear means to fear. It really does mean that. You and I should, in some healthy way, be afraid of the living God because he is good and we are not. We sin. We are sinful people. We do evil deeds in thought, word, action, deed, so on and so on. And the Lord is the perfect and righteous judge. Scripture says that he will render to each one according to their deeds on that final day, according to our glorious gospel. Every human that ever has and ever will will give an account to the living God. And they will have to explain themselves to him. And they'll know the truth of who they are in light of who he is in that day. And yet this same fearfully good, righteous, and holy God has made himself known through Jesus of Nazareth, the one who ate with sinners and prostitutes, who ate with the least of these, who died on the cross for the sins of the world to save his rebellious and doomed creation. If you ever doubt God's goodness and love for sinful, lost, broken people, look no further than Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And it's this Jesus, our king, that we are to love, fear, and obey. This Jesus is the object of our worship. He's God put in front of us in tangible terms. And this Christ, our king, he said this. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Without reservation, he says this. If you love me. In church, that's a big if, a huge if. For many today, though claiming to love the Lord Jesus, they do not obey him. They will call him Lord, Lord, but they willfully reject his words. This is because they do not love the Jesus of the Bible. They do not love the Jesus of reality. They love the Jesus of their imaginations. They love the Jesus they've created for themselves, an idol, a demonic counterfeit. That's main purpose is to make them happy and make them feel accepted rather than teaching them to bear their cross and follow him on this pilgrim's journey. They've rejected the real Jesus. For instance, I don't know, we're not Anglican, we're not Episcopal, but this is a big deal. The Anglican Church, which is the head of that, so the Church of England, which is like the Pope for them, so Episcopals are the American wing of the Anglican Church, and the Church of England is like their, their Pope equivalent. Their, their head of church essentially just came out in this last week or two that they just approved its priests and clergy to preside over homosexual unions. And now the worldwide Anglican communion, just like the Methodist communion, is splitting into a bunch of different pieces. A bunch of different denominations are forming now because a bunch of Christians that believe the Bible are saying, that, no way, we will not go along with that. That is blasphemy, and that is correct. They won't do it. And so now this church is splitting, just like the Methodist church did. We are living in interesting times where established old churches now are fracturing, separating the wheat from the chaff, the true believers from the not true believers. We don't want to judge all people of all places, but like that's a big deal to call something that God clearly condemns as sin, as not sin. It's a big deal. And for those of us who are called to eternal life, we must obey this real Jesus as found in the holy canon of scripture, as found in the Bible. Because knowing Christ and keeping his commandments is the highest expression of love a Christian can have for their king, Jesus, their Lord and their savior. That's why it's so pivotal that you know God's word, that you know his law, that you memorize the commandments, that you have God's word as the scripture says, written on your heart, that you know the Bible, know what he loves and love it and know what he hates and hates that too. Live as children of light and not as the pagans around us. And those who do this, who fear and obey God, will find true blessing because those who fear and obey God, as we just read, are the truly blessed ones. And this is a promise from the Almighty. It's not just live well to feel good. It's live rightly with the Lord because he promises to be with you. Therefore, let us explore what this promise of a blessed life looks like. The bulk of the contents of our psalm today explains to us that when we walk with God, what should we experience as his people? What does this blessed life look like? Because we use the term blessed all the time if you are an Instagram follower, people put like hashtag blessed on their stuff all the time. We put these signs over our table that say like I'm a blessed house. Like we use that word a lot, but how does he describe the blessed life? And he tells us here what some of those elements are. So let's stand and read the 128th Psalm together. Uh, it's a pilgrim song. They would sing it. Let's all read it together. It'll be on the screen. 128th Psalm. I hope it'll be on the screen. Let me phrase that statement. There we go. So let's read in some good cadence. The word of the Lord says, 
Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's bow our heads and pray for God's help to interpret correctly his word. Father God, we just read your word out loud. We proclaimed the truth of it. And now we ask that you would send the spirit to rightly interpret it for us, to teach us, to give us instruction on how to love this Jesus and obey him and give us encouragement. We've already partaken of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. We are forgiven people. So when we read, we don't want to read to feel, to to accrue guilt on ourselves, but to find encouragement, to find strength, to find the power to change because it's by your word you say you sanctify us and make us holy. Do great things this morning. For the namesake of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So when the Bible speaks of being blessed, it's a term that carries a lot of meaning. Some of your Bibles will translate this in different ways. Uh, Some of your Bibles may use the terms like happy or joyful, but those terms lack, in my opinion, they lack clarity. They seem to only communicate an emotional state rather than the substance of what it really means to be blessed. So in short, to be blessed is to communicate that a, a blessed person is what we would call an enviable status, something that we should all aspire to, like the champion state, like, oh, I want to be like that. So to be blessed means into an elevated state. And this elevation is because it's it's God's favor upon you and his kindness is upon you. And this happens, this blessed state comes upon us because we are in line with God's will. Obedience brings blessing. I mean, if there's anything you don't remember today or anything you hear at all, remember this. Let's say it together. Obedience brings blessing. Like, that is so normal in Scripture that it's almost weird that we have to, like, explain to people, like, yes, you must, you have to obey God. It's a real thing. But in our day and age, we shouldn't take for granted. And when we live according to God's plans, like, that blessing comes. So think about this. I know nothing about cars, so... I'm going to pretend like I do for a moment, but I do know this. My car runs on gasoline. Now, if you're an eco person, don't get mad that I drive a gas car, but uh, my car needs gasoline to work. It's built for that, right? I have to put gas in it. Now, you can put some other substances that'll combust in it, but it'll hurt the tolerance of the engine, I've been told. Like, you can still get away with it, but not forever. It's going to hurt the car in the long run. And it does not work on diesel. I had a friend that did that once. He wasn't paying attention. It was on a youth trip. He pumped diesel into his car, and we had to leave him behind because they had to come pump his tank. It was crazy. So my car, I know, does not work on diesel. It's not made for that. It will not work. And if you put sugar in a car, that's a really bad idea. Don't do that. So, like, these cars are made in a certain way for certain tolerances. And this is true of all of other um, trades and crafts and all that, right? We have tolerance, and things are supposed to function in a certain way, and they had to be treated in a certain way. Humans are no different. God made humanity to live and be in a certain way, to obey him, be in fellowship with him. Think of like the commandments. God made you to be a truth teller, not to be a liar. That's why he says, do not bear false witness. So when we live according to how we're supposed to be made, blessing comes because we're living in the fullness of what God made you. 
But when we live outside of God's commands, when we live outside of his law, what happens to people in society? Like it breaks down. Things crumble. It doesn't work in harmony. Think of like slavery. God didn't make people to be masters over other people. Think of like sex trafficking. God didn't make women as objects to be used as for people's pleasure. Like that's not real. But when we live like that, we experience great suffering and great pain because we're not blessed. We're cursed. We're living outside of the way God made us. So if there's anything you want to think about blessing, it's when we're living in harmony with the way humans were supposed to be made. And God's word reflects that. So again, God made you to be a truth teller. And when you're not telling the truth, things go poorly. So if you can get the idea of the car, don't put diesel in your car, y'all. You were made in a certain way to live with Jesus. And it turns out this blessed status, this obedience that brings this blessing to us, will affect the mundane parts of our lives. Specifically, this psalm it refers to God bringing blessing upon three central parts of human existence. Labor, love, and lineage is like the middle portion of this psalm, or you could say our work, our wives, and children. I couldn't find a W word for children, so no alliteration. But God's blessing, when we're living in harmony as he designed us to be, when we're, we're living as God expresses it in his law, our work, our wives, and our children are going to be blessed, like have this favor of God upon them. They're going to experience life as God intended them to do. And as noted, this psalm speaks to the males of the church predominantly. So keep that in mind. So this first blessing, our work, our resources will be blessed when we're fearing and obeying God. Verse 2 says that when you fear and obey God, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. God's blessing begins with our work, our vocations. Your labor will actually be a blessing. Your job will not just be this thing you do. It's going to be how God actually works in you and through you to provide. And specifically says, you're going to eat. You're going to be taken care of. It's a good thing. Because throughout the entire Bible, there's a simple principle you'll find throughout both Testaments. It's this. And Frank touched on it with our giving this morning. But it's simply this. Uh, when God is put first, when we fear and obey him, when God's God and he's in his rightful place, things go well with the people of God. He gives them the bread they need to eat. And when God is not first, uh, disobedience, when this sets in, when God is not our highest priority, when we're not fearing him and obeying him, God's people enter into a futile spiral of working really hard to yield nothing because they're trusting themselves to be their provider rather than the living God. I think Pastor Elvin worded it well last week. He said, uh, God does not bless his people when they live like atheists. That's not, that's not a thing. God loves us too much to bless the work of our hands when he is not the main object of our obedience anymore. It doesn't, doesn't happen that way. Case in point, after the exile, when God's people came back from Babylon, he sent them back into the promised land, and he's, his first instruction is when you get back, here's what you need to do first. Rebuild the temple. That's the first thing of instruction. He says, you're going to come back from captivity, and you need to rebuild the temple. Worship and true religion must be first in the life of the people of God. It's how we have a relationship with God. But if you know Ezra and Nehemiah on those stories and the later, latter prophets, they didn't. Hear what the prophet Haggai says about this. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. 
even though he told them, when you come back, this is what you do. And he gave them the supplies to do it. But what did the people say? Eh, it's not time yet. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of the Haggai the prophet. And here's what the prophet says to them, declaring, oh, it's not time to build the temple yet. We need to do other things first. We need to do the practical things, like building houses and farms first. Here's God's response to them. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house, this temple, lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Church, when God says, like, let's reason this out together, you got to take notice in the Bible. He says, consider your ways. You have sown much, and you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is ever warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. They worked really hard saying, we got to put us first. We'll build the temple when we get to it, Jesus. We love you, but we'll, we'll build your temple when we get to it. We'll do that church thing when we get to it, but we got to do this first. We got to take care of number one first. It did not yield well, God tells them, he's like, I'm holding back from you. You work so hard to sow your crops and you're yielding nothing. You you work so hard and yet you have holes in your pockets. Church, this has not changed. Modern Christians, we do the same thing. The exact same thing. Worship takes a back seat to our labors. Our families suffer from it because there's no blessing when the worship of the living God is neglected. So husbands, Are you fearing and obeying God by faithful church attendance and worship? Is true worship your highest priority, husband? Are you enjoying the gift of the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, or do you despise the gift of holy rest that God has given you? There's only one day of the week, church, when we come together to break the Lord's bread. It's only one day the church has been sanctioned to partake of the cup of the Lord. It's today. There's much to say on this matter on neglecting true worship of the living God, to neglect our faithful church attendance. There's much to say, but short this. Fear God and obey him by making true worship, your church participation, the Christian life, make that priority, and it will go well with you. He just told us the work of your hands will be blessed. It will not be blessed. Your work will yield you nothing. Your 401k will not yield like you think it will. Your retirement that you care so much about will be nothing if true worship of the living God is not a priority in your life. God does not bless disobedience. Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of heaven and everything else is gonna fall in its place, paraphrase. But you get the drift in the Beatitudes. Seek first me, seek first my kingdom, build the temple first, everything is gonna be okay. It's almost stupid simple but think of how easy it is for us to deceive ourselves saying, but these things, Jesus, I got to do them over you. It's deception. Secondly, God promises that your wife and children will be blessed. Verse three and four, this is where the outline won't match everything. So I lumped them together. Verse three and four says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And using horticulture language, the family of a blessed man is described as a vine that produces. Uh, it's life-giving, it's fruitful, it multiplies. I don't know anything about farming either, so I'm going to make this up now, but I'm pretty sure it's true. If I planted an apple tree and it didn't make apples, that would bother me. 
I've tried growing stuff with my wife, like herbs and peppers and all, and they, it just, they die all the time. It's awful. So we just go to the grocery store like every other normal person. But this is a farming community, and you all know, when you plant, you expect it to grow and be alive. God's using that language of living plants, growing, producing, being fruitful. And he describes like a fruitful vine, like the wife would be like the grapes that make the beautiful wine, and the children like the olive plants that make the oil, like the two most important crops in ancient Israel. Like wine and oil are life. Wine, oil, and bread is like the life of the people for thousands of years. So he's using that type of language of like, this is a priority. And concerning our wives, them being fruitful, this can range from like childbearing, like because we know that God opens and closes the wombs, like he's the one that makes children. So that could mean that. Or it could just mean a general, like, she's blessed. She's a good helper of the home. The home is blessed. It can mean that. But I think this is more than just natural helps and children late birthing. I think when he says your wife's going to be fruitful and, like, producing, I think he's talking about more of a spiritual aspect. Because when a man fears and obeys God, out of his obedient love for Jesus, he will lead his wife and children in true worship of the living Christ which will produce spiritual fruit, making them more Christ-like. I think it's more about that than just a general, our house will have money and like the laundry will be clean. I think it's way more than that. It's more than just an orderly household. It's Christ-likeness will be in your home. This is because husband, God has ordained you, Christian husband, he's ordained you as the pastor of your home to be God's avenue of blessing to your family because God uses means. He uses people to bless people. Think of like, uh, what I mean by this. Imagine if someone's really, really poor and they're in destitute and need food. God could turn stones to bread. Can he not? God can make manna fall from heaven to feed people. Could he not? But what's the common way God uses how he feeds the poor? It's through us. Us being willing to take our food and share it with people. God uses means. He uses his people to bless other people. So likewise, husbands, you are your blessing to your wife. If you are a faithful Christian, you are God's blessing to your wife and your children. God, you are the tool, if you will, that God has chosen to bless and be kind to wife and children. And this is how we bless our wives. Very familiar verse, but think this out. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. There's a lot being said there, but husbands, God tells us it's our Christian duty to do for our wives what Christ does to the church collectively. It's our duty to make our wives holy acceptable to God. Like that's a huge task. That's a huge statement about marriage. And this is accomplished by loving your wife sacrificially. Christ gave himself for the church. He laid down his life. And you and I do that by recognizing our wives' spiritual needs and making them our highest priority. Your wife husband needs Jesus. And God wants you to be the one to lead her to him. 
So think of how marriage works. God takes the woman. He gives them to the man. And then the man is supposed to take the woman by the hand and present her back to his Savior. Because that's what Jesus does with us, the church. Jesus makes us holy and presents us to the Father. And he does this by the power of the Spirit. Your married lives are a parallel reflection of the church life. It's a big deal. You end up making worship a priority. Church attendance won't be a checkbox. It'll be a time for you and your family to enter God's holy presence, to commune with Jesus over his bread and over his cup, to hear the word of God preached, to sing it together. You'll worship as a family. Prayer will become real in your home. You'll make it a priority. You'll engage scripture together somehow. You'll serve the Lord together, stuff like that. You'll recognize the need, the true spiritual need of the wife, and you'll make that your priority. That's how you are a blessing to your wife. And we have a similar command for children. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, the same idea. You are called to be the primary instructor for your children. It's the same principle. It's husband's duty to teach the children the things of God, to teach your children who this Jesus is and to love him. God is blessing your, his, your children by making you a faithful daddy. That's how you can think about it. You are the husband. You are God. You are called to be God's blessing to your wife and children. And even though family worship is hard, but when the entire family is walking in harmony with God, when God's principles, when his law is administered in your home, when you're walking as Christ made you to walk, kind of like the car with the gas idea, when there's scriptural truth invading every part of your home life as best as we can in our messed up ways, there's beauty. There's peace in that home. There's harmony. Everyone's on the same page. It's like a little slice of heaven, even though we all sin and mess up still. Like, you ever been in a home that's like a Christian home and like you can feel it? I know that sounds spiritually, but you know what I mean, right? There's like this distinct difference. The moms and dads talk to each other different. The kids are in harmony different. It's like there's just this identity where like Christ is in everything. It's like that's, that should be our goal. And we're all going to mess up at it, but like that's, that's the enviable place we want to be. That's where we want to go. So wives, pray for your husbands to be men that fear and obey God. Mothers, pray for your sons that will be men who fear and obey God. Young women or single women, pray for your future husbands, if God calls you to be married, to fear and obey God. And you will experience this type of blessing. It's the way God ordered it and designed it. Verse 4 then closes this section. He reiterates this promise. He says, blessed is the man who does these things. Like He brings it back up again. He closes this portion or reminder. Like this, He's telling us twice in a row, these things are true things. These are real offers of a blessing. Therefore, how could we ignore such great and precious promises? Two times in a row, God tells us, blessed is the man who fears and obeys me. And he closes the section again. Only, if you ever read Puritan writers, they were pretty harsh. They wrote some really, really cutting words. If, you, if we were a Puritan writer right now, they would say we would be sluggards, spiritual sluggards. Like we wouldn't care because we heard the promises. And if you don't act on it, it's because you don't care. We don't care for the welfare of our wives and children and neglect such a blessing. Who hates their wives and children so much that they would deny them a blessing of the living God? Like that's the question that remains on us. And right away, many of us men are going to feel guilty, right? Because we're like, I'm not a good teacher. I barely know. Like that guilt wants to creep on us. That's the devil. We're not here to condemn and feel guilty. 
We're here to be encouraged because I promise you that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've been baptized into Jesus, if you're walking in the faith, even if you say, Adam, home life is really hard. It's hard to get everybody on board to pray. We struggle just to do prayers together. My wife may be resistant to it. My kids don't want to sit down. And like, you know, it's hard. It's real life, right? God is at work. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep praying together. Keep bringing them to church. Like, God's going to work that out. He promises he will. And for those who don't have that heart at all, here's what God, I think, would say to you. Call upon me, and I'll make you a man after my own heart. And as I read this this week, it's like it brought me to my knees of like, you know, Lord, continue to work in me. Make me a man that loves you with my whole heart. Who here in honest fashion can say that they love Jesus perfectly? Like nobody. We need the grace of God because we can't love and obey God and do these things and receive these blessings without God's help. It's, it's futile. We need the Lord. But do not neglect spiritual matters. And he promises there's blessing. Even when in our smallness, it's like when our faith is like so little, we're like, God, I can't do this. Please help. He's like, I got you. I'm going to help you. Because this is the normal I've called you to. I've called you to be blessed. He's going to get us there. Don't give up. Don't give up, even if it's hard. If you miss days of prayer, just keep moving forward. Make God the priority in your home. And as this comes to a close, it's like verse 4 could have closed the whole psalm. It would have been a perfect ending, but he continues on. He moves on to like a benediction or a blessing where he pronounces blessing upon us again. And he adds on to us what he's going to do for us and to us. You know, we regularly end our church services with a benediction. We get up and we'll read something like, may the Lord bless you and keep you and stuff like that. We end church services with a benediction or a blessing because we want people to be the last thing they hear is that God is for me. And this psalm ends like that. And we're running out of time and I wrote a lot more stuff, but you all are really slow to hear today, so I can't talk fast enough, but that's okay. Just, we're going to say this benediction at the close of service, but really hear those words. He says, I want to bless you from Zion. I want to bless you from Jerusalem. May you see the prosperity of the church. May you, may you see your children's children, like generational Christianity. And may peace be upon us. Like those are how this, this psalm ends. Man, chew on that during this week. God's blessing to you is to see good all your days, to see your children's children, and to have peace. That's what God desires for us. We're not going to close on that. But think about this. This entire psalm is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus feared and obeyed the Father perfectly. He lived a sinless life. Jesus ate the fruit of his labor, his ministry. When you read the Gospels, he did all this work and God blessed him because his work brought salvation and purchased his wife, the church. And Jesus' wife is a fruitful wife. And for 2,000 years, the church has been producing children and good works, converts. Christianity hasn't stopped. And Jesus is blessed by the Father. He sits at his right hand now, waiting to come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is seated above all authority, all power, all principalities and demons. Jesus is above everything and everyone. Jesus sees generations of believers. This whole psalm is a portrayal of the life of our Lord and Savior. And it's this Jesus we're called to know. And so this morning, if you're here today and you're not Christian and you're not really catching what we're saying and you're like, okay, I kind of get what you're saying. Be good. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, know this Jesus. He's God come as a man. He died for your sins so you could be saved. 
and he calls you to repent and be baptized, to know him, follow him, love him, and he's demonstrated his love for you when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Will you repent and be baptized? And for those who are in the faith this morning, use this week, dwell upon these things. Is this blessed life yours? I know it doesn't talk a lot about singles this week or those who don't have a spouse anymore, but God still can bless you because it begins, how's it begin? Those who fear and obey God are blessed. That's the universal truth. Does your life reflect fear and obedience to Jesus? Do you love him? And you know you love him because you obey him. Is that your Christian life? Use this time, pray about it. Altar will be open. And then Frank's gonna close the service. But let's pray. Father God, we come before you. Thank you for this promise of blessing you put in for us that we are really called to love you and obey you. We can't say we love you and then not do your works, not do your words. It's just not, it's not true. Lord, help, help us just take that little piece home today. Help us love you, fear you, and obey you. And Holy Spirit, we can't do these things without your help. You have to change us. You have to work on our hearts. You have to make us more like Christ because if you don't, we are gonna live the way we want to live. We will do the things we want to do. And yet you've called us to be remade in the image of your son. And you tell us that our baptism shows that. You say those who've died have died to their old self and now they've been raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus. Help us lay hold of the baptismal promises that we really are new in Christ. It's true. We belong to you and you're working in us. Thank you, Lord, that we are your people, that we are your temple. Help us love and fear you and obey you. Do great things. In Christ's name we pray.